Today's sermon is entitled, Speak Life Into Action. Speak Life Into Action. If you notice up there in the corner, in the left there, it says, What we say should come to pass. Otherwise, what's the point? What we say should come to pass. Otherwise, what's the point? Words undone are merely broken promises. I'll say that again. Words undone are merely broken promises. And words that don't happen Words that don't happen break people more who have already been broken by circumstances. Say that again. So when something is said that doesn't happen, it actually breaks people more who have already been broken by the circumstances they're already in. So it's like coming up to someone who's pretty sad because of a situation and then you come and say, I got you or I'm going to take you to to do this or whatever. Are you going to do something? And you don't do it and you end up breaking them again. So when we say we are learning to be people of action this year, I want us to learn to begin those actions with words. Repeat that after me. Begin my actions with words. Say it again. Begin my actions with words. Let me explain. I want to talk for a moment about a broken nation. Imagine the U.S. is dead. Let's just imagine that the United States is dead. Let's just say it has no government, it's lost its government, it has no president, um, it has no democracy, it has no people, um, well, or it has no unity. The people are scattered everywhere. Um, There is no economy. Um, Our funds have been drained. Uh, We have no military. We're completely and totally vulnerable. Um, It, uh, let's imagine it was in sheer political ruin that no party was in power. Um, Both major parties had succumbed to uh, the debauch situation we were in. Uh, There was no unification in sight. So let's say, The U.S. was dead. There was no unification in sight. It wasn't going to get better. We were done as the United States. Now, it's hard to imagine that, right? Because think of the U.S. as uh, the richest nation in the world, the most powerful nation in the world. It has tons of resources. Everyone looks at the U.S. as the leading nation, but... Let's say it lost all of that. Well, in today's lesson, the people of Israel 
find themselves very much in the state that I just described above. Israel was a broken nation, literally divided into two parts. They were broken into two parts. They were actually divided into Israel and Judah. So they couldn't even get along together long enough to stay as a single unit. Israel, which was the northern kingdom, was taken over by Assyria in 722 B.C. Judah, the southern kingdom, was taken over by Babylon beginning around 609 B.C. And the attack of Babylon was too great. So even though God let them return to their home, they saw the work as too much to revive. Some even remained in captivity. Uh, the great story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, when they were allowed to come back from Babylon, guess what? They were, they were slaves. They were uh, in Babylon working for the king over there while some were let go back to their land. All hope was gone in essence. Assyria had already pummeled Israel, the northern kingdom, and now Judah was captured by Babylon. So what's important now is that there was a message needed because the Israelites mentally had checked out as well. So God had to make some instructions available or send a word of encouragement to a people who had literally been devastated. So watch this now. We're talking about words that will need to precede an action of God. So the message was needed because the Israelites mentally had checked out. I don't know about any of you. Have you ever been in something that's so devastating and so beyond repair, you have mentally checked out. You have lost hope and they needed a word spoken that would bring them back to life. Now, there are three things I want to give you as a caveat to help you understand how that happens. So if you put the slide back on the screen for me, look at number one. We talk about a broken nation that needs a word of encouragement. Listen carefully. Number one, present conditions can blind you. Your present conditions can blind you. In other words, you can look at your situation so long, so vividly, so analytically, that you can be blinded by it. In other words, you lose hope by looking at the situation too intensely. Remember a book written years ago, Forget the Author, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff? Um, you know, uh, you know, there's another quote that just escaped me, uh, attributed to my age. Uh, but sometimes you can look at present conditions and they can literally blind you. You can't see any hope beyond the mess that you're in. Number two, your recovery is not based on your present conditions. That's important because many people think 
that they can't get out of it because there's nothing in that present situation that they can see that's viable enough to help them get out. But your recovery is not based on how bad the situation is. Don't base your change on how bad the situation is. Are you tracking with that? I hope you are. People look at their situation and say, oh, this is horrible. I'm never going to get out of it. Well, you're right. Looking at the situation, you won't. Number three, real success is life in you. So be carefully. So when you're thinking about recovery, you think about restoration, you're thinking about things that um, you say, well, I'll be recovered if I get a new car. I'll be recovered if I get this house. I'll be recovered if uh, he or she acts right. I'll be recovered if the kids do what I ask them to do. Real recovery is life in you. Real recovery is, real success in life is um, you living life and you enjoying life with your passion, uh, with a sense of meaning and significance. That's what recovery is. That's what restoration is. So it is not always just about the things you get. It's about the breath of life that is in you. So the essence of success is life, and that life is breath. And the reason that's important is because our spirits impact the life of everything around us. So I'll say that again. Our spirits impact the life of everything around us. See what I'm saying? If you don't have spirit in you, what the cheerleaders used to say, we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? Right? If you don't have spirit, if you don't have a passion for life, if you don't have a passion for living, then you don't impact the things around you. But the question is raised, why restore a nation? Why restore it? Why not just leave the nation pummeled? Why not just let it Go to Betsy. Heavens to Betsy. <laughs> the reason you restore the nation, listen to this carefully. Again, I'm giving you stuff. It's informational. That's why I'm doing this first, so you can be ready. The reason to restore a nation is because a nation cultivates a people. It's worth restoring. It's worth recovering because that thing that entity cultivates a people, cultivate culture. It establishes um, uh, uh, uniqueness to you. It establishes your development. It helps you develop. You develop within a family. You develop within a job. You develop within a nation. So people can develop where there is food, where there is an economy, where there is protection from the, with the military, where there is uh, other people and people are well, that where there are jobs. So people can cultivate and develop in a nation that has resources for it to do so. So look at the thing that you're experiencing and you may be saying, man, it's a done deal. 
I'm done. It's over. There's no way it's going to happen. But remember, it may be worth reviving because it will help cultivate you as a people. Listen, not as an individual. You don't look at your circumstances as only applying to you, but nine times out of ten, it's much bigger than you. A nation creates systems to provide change. It creates systems to provide change. A nation or an entity, a job, creates systems and processes that can actually move you along. A family can do that. A marriage can do that. Um, A career can do that. A, A network of friends can do that. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? So a nation can create systems to provide change. Not only that, they can create systems to provide. Listen, you may not be able to get it on your own, but if you're in a system, if you're in a group of people with a system that can provide for you, then you benefit from the nation's revival. So God is saying, I need to revive this nation because this is how I'm going to provide for you. I need a nation to be able to provide. God has you in some things because that's how you're going to make it. It's how you as an individual are going to live. Are you tracking? A nation protects us and a nation has power. I know for a fact, I used to love being surrounded by Big, bigger people than me, big brothers, big friends who would protect me. I felt better because I knew that if I was on my own and some big uh, opponent came on me, they might get the best of me. But if I am surrounded with protection, a nation with a military is not vulnerable. So it might be worth reviving because if you revive it, it's the thing that's going to protect you. Listen to what I'm saying. Apply this to whatever. I'm talking about a nation, but apply it to whatever you're feeling like is hopeless. A nation has economy. A nation has jobs. A nation has property. A nation has real estate, etc. A nation has things that you don't have as an individual. So some things are worth reviving because it has things that you don't have as an individual. So fighting selfishly for only what you want is to miss the concept of being a part of a wealthy community, a commonwealth, a a community of people like people with like desires and concepts. So a reborn nation, though, listen to me. So all of this set up. A reborn nation, if if all those things I described uh, is to be reborn, a nation will begin with the right words. So we often look at a situation and we say, oh my, oh my, Latanya, we say, what am I going to do, right? Most of us look at a situation and say, ooh, this is horrible. What am I going to do? What do I need to do? I'm saying to you, Before you do anything to rebirth or recover, restore a nation, you rebirth it with the right words to say. But what, Sharitha, 
is the message. Ah, this is tantamount to our lesson. What is the message? The message is this. Listen, from the passage we read earlier, 37 verses 1 through 14, we learned that the message was to encourage a despondent people who had lost hope and that restoration was coming after captivity, that they would recover from their present dispersion. So the message was clear. God was saying, you're going to be restored. You need to get a message that's going to encourage you to let you know that all hope is not lost, but that I do have a message to encourage you to get you your hope back. Now, why is this important? Because we all are messengers to a dying and despondent nation. There are deaths occurring all around us all the time. Oh, God. I I went to a funeral yesterday. A young man just graduated a year or two before me. His brother was in my class. Another individual passed, uh, same class, uh, this past week. Uh, And then just got news yesterday about a dear friend from my mom's church passed away, who wasn't even my age, much younger than me. And there's all kinds of stuff happening around us, and people are giving up left and right. Uh, If you look at the statistics on suicides, um, you know, did they go up during the pandemic? You know, people giving up hope, the, the joblessness and There are all kinds, my point is there are all kinds of reasons and things that have people saying, you know what, I'm cool, I'm good, I'm good. I'm not going to try anymore. I'm I'm just, I'm good. I'm, I'm just good. There are all kinds of people. And so we become, as Christians, messengers to those people. And those people are who? They're our friends. They're our neighbors. They're our family. There are people who are going through stuff and we can't be so consumed with our stuff that we forget the message. The message is not, God, give me, give me, fix me, do me. That's not the message. The message is a message of encouragement to those who are struggling every day. Every day, someone is contemplating suicide. Someone is facing and battling about with depression every day while you jump around and be happy. Or maybe that's you. Maybe you're the one locked up mentally. So if that is you, then guess what? You've got to apply the same word of encouragement to yourself. David said, I encourage myself in the Lord. Because guess what? I'm depressed. I've lost hope. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be a pastor. And let me just make a confession here. Let me make a confession. This particular week, I'm telling you, or of recent, within the past month, I've been looking at things and I say, you know, what is the point? Believers are 
doing what they want. The world is is further divided. It seems like things are getting worse. And I was like, God, what's the point? What's the point? Why get on here and preach? Why encourage people and they don't take advantage of it? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And you know what the Lord told me? He said, son, hold on, slow your roll. Be careful now. Remember who he talked to. He said, my word does work. He said, the people don't apply it. He said, the people don't obey it. If you obey the word, it works. But we are more and more extricating ourselves from the word and we are starting to live on our own philosophies. We're starting to live on our own emotions. We're starting to live with this philosophy. Everybody else is doing it. So that is the norm. No, you must continue to read the word and apply the word to your life because the word gives a consistent message. Whenever you get outside the word, deception is palatable and the enemy uses words to deceive you and to plant thoughts and ideas in you that take you away from the bottom line. So things aren't working because we aren't working the word. And I'm telling you, and I've seen it myself. You can get, you can do something for so long, you get comfortable doing it, even though you know it's wrong. That, don't mess with me today. Don't, you see my face? I'm serious. <laughs> I'm not laughing. Now you made me laugh. All right. So listen, apply the message to yourself when you find yourself in a certain way. So I corrected myself because I started saying, well, I don't want to teach no more. I don't want to preach. I don't want to do nothing because it don't matter. People don't, people don't do what I mean. He said, preach my word. My word is my word and ain't nothing wrong with it. Nothing's wrong with it. If the people do what I, what you tell them, what I tell you to tell them to do, they'll be all right. I was like, cool. So I'm back. <laughs> This whole vision is about communicating a message. And I want you to see that. This whole vision that Ezekiel gets is about communicating a message. And I'm hammering it because many of you have heard this passage and you've heard it from a different perspective. But I want you to see that this whole vision is about communicating a message to a despondent people. And the embracing of the message brings comfort. Even if the thing spoken hasn't happened yet, God is saying, it's not going to happen all right away, but I'm telling you, it's going to happen. My message is bringing you comfort and it's going to give you hope because I'm going to do what I say. Oh, you're going to get it in a minute. Messages bring hope. And why is that? Because a message should be true. It should come with something that's going to happen. So the, the message must be true, it must be relatable, and from a source outside the situation. So remember I said, if you're in the situation and you think it's hopeless, your answer's not coming from within the situation. Your message is coming from outside of your situation because nothing in that situation 
is reputable enough, you won't believe it. In other words, everybody in that situation, you don't trust. Everybody in that situation, you don't feel is credible. So the only way you can get out of it with a new hope and a trust and a belief is if someone from the outside is made credible to you. When something is dead, listen, it cannot revive itself. Cannot. Let's say a person in the hospital flatlines. They can't revive themselves. It's the nurse, the doctor who has to put the defibrillator on them and bring them back to life. Clear, boom. Something from the outside has to revive you. If you or that situation is dead, you need a credible, truthful, outsourced person or situation to establish, reestablish your trust and hope. Are you tracking? So today's practical reality is this. Listen. <coughs> the practical reality is D'Lo after a long bout with something you lose hope after you've been through something so long you lose hope so Babylon had been in captivity or sorry Israel had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years 70 no, I'm not talking about a year. I'm not talking about two. I'm talking about almost two generations. Then they come home and the temple is destroyed. The land is jacked up. They don't have an economy. They don't have a military. They don't have a leader. They don't have, it's just all jacked up. Whenever you're in something for a long time, you lose hope. And the practical reality is this. You and the people you come in contact with need a word of encouragement. It's all about a word. It's a message. But that message must do something. Jesus gave us the gospel. The gospel is called good news. The good news is nothing but a message. But the message promises to do something. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So the question is, are words enough? Because people love to use words to their advantage. Check this out. The question is, what can words do? What can words do? do. We often look at words as what do they mean? When we read words, we don't look at them as a what are these words going to do? We don't do that. You know why? Because most words in books or whatever, fictional writings, they don't do anything because they're not real. But we have the living word. God, I wish I had my Bible. But when I read the word, the word can do something because it is alive. But before it does something, it says something. I'm not just looking for what the words mean, but I must look for what the words can do. 
When we listen, we often listen for what people are saying. We don't listen for what they're saying they can do. The right words should lead to the right actions. I'm going to say that again. Let me tell you over here. The right words should lead to the right actions. I'm not going to come in and start talking and saying the wrong things or saying one thing and do another. That creates confusion. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So I hope to demonstrate how that work. Uh, Listen, how that words should lead to action. I want to show you how that works by the time I'm done. Listen to this. Look at this. Put it back on the screen, please. Words say something. Words say something. That's number one. But also, words mean something. Words say something. Words mean something. Number three, words can do something. The question is, what can words do? What can words do? We know what words can say. We know what words can mean. But do we know what words can do? What can a word do? What can a word do? From today's text, we will learn that a word can help you see things differently. The right word can help you see things differently. From today's text, we learned that a word, the right word can bring you together. The word brought those bones together. The word covered. It can cover you. It can fill you with breath. It can give you life. It can restore and return you. The right message can give you hope. What can these words do? So as I said, this is a familiar passage, but today I want to focus on the message to Israel, not Ezekiel. People often look at this and look at the vision. Ooh, God spoke to Ezekiel. I don't want to know what God, I don't want to focus on what God said to Ezekiel. I want to focus on what God said to Israel through Ezekiel. Are you getting it? Watch, this is going to be, all right, now we're going to get to the juicy part. So, so this is, that was the educational part. Now we're going to get to the, to the juicy part. Most people focus on the vision, but what was the message of the vision and why was it needed? Well, I'm glad you asked Tia. I appreciate you asking that. Let me, let me show you this. But first, before I do that, this is me. This is me after some terrible thing has happened. This is my picture. This is me. After some terrible thing has happened, I start typing two words that stop everything. The end. Do you know how powerful the words are? The end. Do you know? I start typing the end. It's over. It's over. And no more good. No. I start typing the end. Well, that was the condition of the people of Israel. They put the end at it. We're done. A writer ends a book with the end. A movie ends with the end. That means nothing else is coming. Sometimes I sit there and enjoy and I say, they're going to do some outtakes. There's something else coming. Wait for the credits. It's going, it's coming. Something else is coming. Nope. She said, no, it's not. You waiting. You wasting your time. They said the end. It's over. 
That was the condition of the people of Israel. What are you saying the end to? Remember I said, why restore a nation? Because it cultivates a people. It restores an economy. It protects you. It provides for you. It creates opportunity. Even the Bible says, um, uh, 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 a married couple has more favor in the world than a single person. That he that findeth the wife findeth the good thing, and they find favor with God and man. So there's this concept that that a, a family, a unit, is even even the IRS, the taxes are. There's more favor or deference given to families, people who establish units versus single. You file taxes as a single person, you're gonna pay more money. If you use it as a as a family. There are benefits to a nation. Are you tracking? So a broken nation, a despondent nation of Israel, broken in two halves, Israel and Judah. The contextual construct was Israel had been dispersed. Some were in captivity, some returned, but some broken. God says, I have to get them a message because I don't ever want anyone God says, I, I got to get them a message. I don't want anyone ever to think that I call them and when things go bad, that I leave them there. God said, I don't want that reputation. No. He said, whatever I commit to, the outcome is good, period. If God puts you in that situation, if God gave you a situation that is to your advantage and it may not be working, does not mean, it, listen, it does not mean, just because God gave it to you does not mean that things can not go awry. You can be saved and have problems. You can be saved and lose your job. You can be saved and have familial issues. But God's word comes to give us hope again. That what we have termed ended or dead, he can revive because God will never give you something and let you lose it and walk away from you and say, ah, that's what you get. He says, if you have lived for me, if you have shared this encouraging message to others out of your own feelings of sadness and depression, but you kept positivity and passion to help others, do you not think God is not going to turn around and help you? God selects then a speaker from the outside. <laughs> he selects a messenger and he says, I need you, Ezekiel, to craft a message. The message has come. The message has to come from a credible source and a believable source of God. The people would believe the prophet Ezekiel. So, how does God get Ezekiel the message? Oh, this is so good, Sharon. This is good. Ezekiel gets the message in a vision. Oh, that's what the vision is. The vision is God giving the message to Ezekiel to get it to Israel. Listen, the vision is not the message to Israel. The vision is the message to Ezekiel. <laughs> and Ezekiel gives the message to the people 
of Israel. So please don't think God was just giving a message with no intent to do it. So God wasn't just saying, well, here's a vision and I'm just going to give this to you and I don't have intent. No, 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 no. He was giving a message because he wanted to do something. And what was he going to do? I'm going to restore you. Because words say something, words mean something, and words do something. Oh, I feel him. I felt that. I felt that. Hold on. You, you behind me? Holy Spirit, I feel you. Check this out. I want to focus on the message. Three ways. One, how the message was given. Two, what it said. And three, what the message, message meant to be done. So I want to focus on one, how it was given. Two, what it said. And three, what the message meant to be done. Check this out. Point number one. A message is a picture. And talk about how the message was given. A message is a picture. Let's start with how the message was given. It was given in a vision. Ooh, this is going to be good. Oh, I'm moving. It was given in a vision. God gave Ezekiel the message in picturesque form. Listen, God did not write the message like he wrote it to Moses in the Ten Commandments. He gave Ezekiel a picture, a vision. It was given in a vision form. Look at the text. The text says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out. He took me away, carried me away by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. Ezekiel was captured up in the spirit. He was swept away by the spirit of God. He was having a vision and the vision set him down in the middle of the valley. The valley was full of bones. Watch this now. So remember God called Ezekiel as a prophet. And prophets communicate messages. Ezekiel was a prophet. And he called a prophet because prophets speak on behalf of God to the people. But isn't it true? Isn't it true, Cynthia, that prophets are only validated if what they say comes to pass? You're only considered a prophet if what you said happens. So, in other words, if if you say you're talking for God and you say something and 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 it don't happen, you can't be a prophet. In other words, it seems to suggest that the messages that God gives to his people are only validated if they do something. Even God himself said, I sent my word and my word didn't return unto me void. It will accomplish that which I sent it out to do. So he needs messengers who understand that the words we say must do what we say. 
Woo! I feel him. I feel something coming over me. But the message, listen to me, the message was given in a vision. And a vision can be something. Watch this because you're thinking, oh, this, this, this is too deep. You see, I, I didn't get no vision. I didn't get no vision. Let me, let me help you, Big Ben. Let me help you. A vision can be something like a vivid and elaborate thought. It's a slight understatement, but it's just to help you picture it. Listen, you could be sitting there, you outside watering the grass, sipping your tea, and you transient, you transition in your mind to see things in your head. Uh, It becomes a thought. And a message is nothing but a picture form of what you want to see done. A thought and a message is nothing but a picture form of what you want to see done or what you are going to do. Listen, the thoughts are not only about what you're going to say. That is the trap of the enemy in deception that gets you to focus so much on the words you say. It is not that the words you say are the end all. The words must say something that lead to doing something. Help me, Senator, say something, do something. The vision, listen to me. This is how I know. This is how I know, Sherelle. The vision didn't happen literally. It didn't happen. This is not a literal, this this didn't happen. There ain't no valley with the bones. It was a vision. It was a dream. It was a, a thought. It was a picture he had. The vision was in his mind. It was to get Ezekiel to see the message. And we must remember that everything we see doesn't translate the way we see it. But it should be a concrete message that communicates what is going to be done. Listen, what we see is not always to be translated so accurately in just words so as to say them. You don't want to focus so much on how it is said. What you want to focus on is will the words you say come to pass? So people often have trouble communicating what they saw in their thoughts to what they say to the listener. I'll say that again. People struggle with how to communicate their thoughts into what they say to the listener. Listen, thoughts are pictures to help you understand what needs to be done. And in between the pictures and the, the words or, 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 or the being done are the words that are going to get you to the actions. Listen to what I'm saying. So don't put so much weight on remembering everything you saw in your thoughts. Because God is not asking you to communicate what you saw. He's asking. Oh, he's. Oh, woo. Man. People, you ask people all the time, they say, well, what, what are you thinking? And they'll say, well, I feel like, well, you got it wrong. You feel like, wait a minute. Uh, uh, you say, or, well, what do you feel? Well, I thought that such a, well, you got it mixed up. The thought is different from a feeling, feeling different from a thought. And what you say is not always how you feel. What you say is not always a thought. So you got all this stuff happening. And God says, I'm giving you pictures. I'm giving you something in your head. I'm giving you thoughts because your thoughts are a way to process 
podcast, the actions that are coming to your life. Listen, what you say is what you saw is not what's going to happen. It was merely to get you to know what to say what was going to happen. God was not saying, I'm going to give Israel a, a valley of dry bones and everybody going to see the bones. And No, ain't, ain't nothing that happened. It's all of it. That's all in Ezekiel's head. That's all in his vision. That's for him. Do you understand? The message is to Ezekiel. So when you speak, speak to people with the bottom line message of what you want to be done, not what you thought or what you saw. Be clear that your message must be converted into an action, that you are more clear on what you want to be done than what you saw. I'll say that again. Be more clear about what you want to be done in the conversation than what you saw in your thoughts. I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give you time. Ezekiel never told them. Ezekiel never told did you you read the did you read the Bible with me? Ezekiel never told them that he saw dry bones. He never told them that they made noise when they came together and he called the winds together and the four winds, etc. He said, God is going to restore you from your dead, dry, hopeless state. And the vision may have taken four hours. The vision may have taken four hours for a 10-minute statement. You cannot, you cannot. You cannot put into words all the things that God has shown you in your thoughts. That's why your words are jumbled up at the end because you're trying to say too much of what you saw. God is not asking you to communicate the vision to people. He gave the vision to you. The vision is for you. Don't say that. What did the vision say to you? So the vision may take a long time for you to see it but it ought to come out a lot less words than all the pictures you saw. Look at the text really quickly. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord, set me down in the middle of the valleys and it was full of dry bones. He set him down in the midst of it. He let him see it. He was in the valley. He's very picturesque. So your thoughts are to help you know what to say. Don't let trying to say your exact thoughts keep you from saying what you're trying to say in a message. Do not try to say your exact thoughts. The vision or the thought is the vision, but the message is the message. This is the first step to speaking life into action. Look at number two. A message is a picture turned to words. A message is nothing but a picture turned to words. So you may have a message, you may have thoughts, and you got to get those pictures translated into words. Watch this now. Many screenwriters take words and they convert them to pictures. But God takes the pictures and converts them to words. Those words then do something. If pictures, yes, and this is so true. A lot of things we see 
that have come from screenplays or writings is merely entertainment. Sometimes the things we see on TV, it's not intended to do anything. It's just entertainment. So God says, listen, I don't write and I don't give pictures just to entertain you. I didn't give you the Bible to to just read it. You've got to understand that when you read that word, God has you reading it because from that reading, he wants to do something in your life. So now that we know how the message was given, we know it was given in a vision, let's focus on what it is say. A message is just words, right? A message is just words. A good message takes the pictures or the thoughts we saw in our vision, our heads, and we convert them to words. So Ezekiel took what he saw, said, I got to put this in words. And some people have trouble communicating because they can't get the pictures to translate into words. They know what they see, but they don't know what to say. They know what they see, but they don't know what to say. So remember the words are first spoken to you, to Ezekiel, for your understanding. Be clear what God is saying to you. Then you speak it to what Speak what you understood and plan to do to the person you're going to talk to. Check this out. Look at the next verse. The Bible says in verse 2, He caused me to pass among them round about. And behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. Talking about the dry bones. I see them all. He said to me, Son of man, and here's the question. Look at this question. Can these dry bones live? Now, I think that if Ezekiel said no, if Ezekiel had said no, Ezekiel would not have been the person to give the message. He would not have been the person to give the message. If Ezekiel said, no, these bones can't live, God would have said, I can't use you. Because if you're going to communicate a message, you've got to believe the message. So look at the text. The text says, son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel said, oh Lord God, you know. In other words, however you roll, I roll. So look at the text. It goes on. He says, again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones. Say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So God says, speak to the bones, speak to the flesh. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. Again, notice God talking to Ezekiel. This is not the message for Israel. It is not. He says, I will put sinews on you, make your flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. He says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, sinews were on them. Flesh grew. Where did the, where did the flesh come from? Where, where did the, where did the skin come from? Where did it come from? Where? where? It didn't come from nowhere. You know why? Because it's a vision. It's a vision. They're not real. It just popped up on them. Do you get what I'm saying? Don't make the thought you have more than what it is. The thought is just to help you understand what God is trying to say and what he wants to do. Don't worry about the details of the thought. Well, how did that get there? Don't worry about the details of the dream. It doesn't matter. The intricacies and the details of the dream. Well, I, I don't know how. I've, I've told the dream many times. And I say, so-and-so showed up and I don't know where they came from. They just popped up or whatever. And it, it don't matter. It doesn't matter about the details of the dream. What is the message? 
Are you understanding what I'm saying? So go back to the text. He says, I looked, behold, sinners were one of them. Flesh grew scarlet, but there was no breath in them. There was no breath in them. They were, they were standing, they were covered, but there was no breath. There was no life in them. He said to me, said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds of the old breath and breathe on these slain that they come to life. So look at he's 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 trying to point them to it. He says, So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. But look at verse 11. Then he said to me, Then he said to me, the interpretation of the dream, of the vision. He says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Everything about what Ezekiel saw is wrapped up in this passage. He says, this is the whole house of Israel. What I've shown you, this is the whole house of Israel. And the whole house of Israel is saying, our bones are dried up and our hope is perished. We are completely cut off. God was saying, you need to get them a message because this is the state they're in. So verses 2 through 11 is the vision spoken to Ezekiel. It is God's picture he is giving to Ezekiel. And these pictures have to be understood before Ezekiel goes and speaks to Israel. So what it said to Ezekiel, this is what it said. What we saw in the vision. He said, you're in the valley of dry bones. Your people, the people you're talking to, they messed up. They, uh, do you think they can live? Where, where do you stand, Ezekiel? What, what do you know? Are, are you cool with that? He said, whatever you say. He had Ezekiel practice speaking to the bones first. He said, get some practice. Prophesy to the bones. Talk to them. Talk to the air. Call the four wind. In other words, practice Practice what you saw. Talk to yourself out loud. Boy, I do it all the time. Let me tell you something. When I'm studying my sermons, I, I be walking around the house. I'm, and so, uh, and when Jesus came, uh, John said, such as that, I'd be acting like I'm in a role. I'm role playing because I'm practicing. Listen, what I'm practicing, I'm not going to say to you. By the time it gets to you, you don't even know. My notes are so filled with stuff you never even get it. Watch this though. He had Ezekiel practice speaking to the bones. Ezekiel told the bones, I will put breath in you. He, in other words, I, I need you to get comfortable understanding that life is coming. Ezekiel, I need you to get under, I need you to be comfortable there. He says, and, and this is what I want to understand. You acknowledge the dead status. Ezekiel, I need you to be clear that where you're going is dead. It is true. It's dead. Just like when Martha and Mary came to Jesus and said, if you had been there, our brother not have died. And Jesus said, well, um, he's not really dead. He told his disciples, they're not really, he's not really dead. He's sleeping. And, and the disciples were like, yes, he's mine. He's dead. He ain't moving. They said he stinks. It's, well, Jesus said, yeah, well, okay. Well, truth is, yeah, he is dead. He's asleep, but he's dead. In other words, acknowledge that it is dead. But we as Christians don't have to be afraid of death. When we have the message of God, when we have the gospel, the huangelios, the message of God, when we have the message of hope, whatever is dead in our lives can be revived. And the difference between life and death is the power of words. Woo! Come on. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. When we talk about how we speak to things, saying the right words should lead to the right actions. And even, listen, he says, look, some of these people, you you know, you got people standing up, bones covered, everything, but ain't no life in them. He says, they're standing dead. You got, listen, there are people out there in the world who are standing 
standing dead. They're coming to work dead. They're coming home to the family dead. They're doing everything, going through the motions. They look like they're alive, but they're not. And you need to go in and breathe on them. He says, I will add the necessary components to you that will make it possible for you to function again. No man can function merely as bones. And that's what that says to me. No man can merely function with muscles and sinews. No man can merely function standing up on two feet with muscles. He says, you need life. You need the breath of the Holy Spirit. You need something in you to make you live again. And he says, I will do this so you will know that I am the Lord. In other words, God says, I'm going to change the situation so you know that I change it. So now look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. God explains the vision to Ezekiel. He makes it clear that he showed him all of that to make the point that the bones represent the whole house of Israel. Hello, not just you. This ain't about just one person. This is about the whole house of Israel. Remember, I'm restoring the nation. God is restoring the things in your life that are going to help you. See this, God beloved. God is saying, I'm restoring the things that you need in your life that function as systems, that function as support groups, that functions as an entity that can provide for you. God was letting him know that this isn't a message just for Judah. This is a message for Israel who was taken over by Assyria. It's bigger than you and it's bigger than what they think. God knew that action was coming with words and all of that to tell Ezekiel, Israel, was dried up. God gave all this elaborate vision to tell Israel, to tell Ezekiel that Israel was dried up. Ezekiel had to know their state before he could speak to them in a way that they would trust he understood. Because if I come in talking to you and I don't sound like I know your situation, you know, I know how you feel. I've been where you've been. If I can't feel that from you, you're wasting your time. We've got to speak with empathy. We've got to speak with sympathy. We've got to talk to people like we care. We've got to listen like we understand. We've got to be people who understand that something good is coming from this. We've got to learn the power of the words that we say and the good that's behind them. We got to stop speaking stuff like speaking it. We got to stop speaking it like it's detriment following. We've got to speak it like goodness is following. So watch this now to Ezekiel. He got the words from the picture vision, and now he's ready to communicate. But now, how would Ezekiel say it to Israel? Oh, this is good. Look at this. How would he going to say it to Israel? So what are you going to say? Ah, you got the vision. In other words, what would the words mean? What's, in other words, what do the words mean? Well, how is it going to happen? Again, it, it, what? remember, focus on how did he get it? Two, what did it say? We just told you what it said. Three, what does it mean? What is it going to do? So watch this. Number three. A message is a promised action. We now know how the message was given. We now know what the message said. But now what did it mean by intention to get something done? A message is a promised action. And look at this verse, number 12. Here's what he told Ezekiel to tell the people. And you won't see the vision at all in these verses 12 through 14. Uh, but what you will hear is the message Ezekiel got from the vision. Uh, Therefore prophesy and say to them, uh, thus says the Lord God, uh, behold, I will open your graves uh, and cause you to come out of 
your graves. My people and I will bring you into the land of Israel. I just got to pause there because Ezekiel didn't see no graves. He didn't see people coming out of graves. This ain't the vision Ezekiel saw. But Ezekiel understood what God was trying to say. He said, I'll open up your graves and cause you to come out uh, of your tombstone. The places that have you captivated, you're locked in and you think that you have no more life in you. He says, I'll bring you out. He says, my people, I will bring you into the land of Israel. But look at 13. He says, then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves. Notice again, he says, my people. In other words, my nation. <laughs> a nation revived and restored. But look at 14. He says, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. <laughs> then you will know, there it is again, that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Uh, let me talk to you just for a minute as we bring this on home. Big Ben, I'm wrapping it up. Here's what God wanted Ezekiel to communicate to Israel. This is what it meant. That the message is for the whole house of Israel and that the people are saying their bones are dried up and lost. That's what Ezekiel got from God. God then, or Ezekiel then, takes what he got from God and turns around and says, the vision means talking to Israel. <laughs> this is what I understand the vision to say. Notice, he's not verbatim, word for word, trying to say what he saw in his thoughts. He let the spirit turn those pictures into words that mean uh, something to the people he's going to talk to. He said, I will open the graves that hold you. Uh, Ezekiel came to tell him, you're locked up. Ah, uh, God, sometimes when I'm standing next to the family, the hardest part of the funeral is at the cemetery when they watch the body go down. In other words, they know that their person's body is in a a vaulted cemented case and, and it's going down underground and soon the dirt will cover them up and there is no way for them to come out. <laughs> it's over. And God says standing next to the grave I will come again and I will raise you up. This mortality will put on immortality. When the trump sounds I'll say get up Opali. I'll say get up Pompili. I'll say get up whoever has passed away because I've got the power to restore store and get anybody out of anything that says they can't do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The possibilities are endless when I get the right word. That's why it's important for me to get it right from God so that by the time I give it to you, it's going to do what it says. Talk to me somebody. He says you will come out of that place. He has to say this because some doors open and people won't come out of there. He says you will come out. I'm telling you, some people are in situations. Some people are in situations where the door is wide open and they stuck in toxicity. In other words, God has opened the door, but you won't leave. God says you will come out. He says, I will open the door and you will come out. In other words, I'm not opening doors just so you can stay stuck where you are. He says, if I do it, it's going to be complete. It's going to be the 
perfect work. He says, I'm going to raise the door. I'm going to open the door and I'm going to bring you out. He says, then he says, I will bring you back into your own land, not other people's land, not somebody else's land, not renting this, not leasing this, not doing this. He says, I'm going to give you back your ownership. What is I talking about? He's talking about, I'm giving you your own nation back. You will be established again as a place of rule, a place of economy, a place of prosperity, a place of development, a place of opportunity, a place of work, a place of relationship, a place of community and fellowship. God says, I'm going to restore the things that validate you as a nation. He says, I will bring you back into your own place where you make the rules. I'm restoring you as a nation, not just as inhabitants or slaves in someone else's land like you were in Babylon. He says, I'm changing that. And some of us have been slaves so long, we think that's all we are. And by my doing this, he says, you will know that I am God. He's doing this to further show them they should trust him because he is who he says he is. God is saying that my actions will further confirm that I am who I say I am. So when we see God do what he says he was going to do, then we further know he is who he says he is. Look out, God. Whenever God does something in my life because of what he said to my life, I know that he is who he is to my life. Your actions towards your kids, backing what you say, greater confirms that you are their parent. When you're a boss and you say something to your staff or team, when you do what you say, it further confirms that you are their boss. If you don't back up what you say, they won't respect you as their parent. They will see you as an adult who makes noise. Even Paul said, words without love in action is just noise. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. In other words, you can be a parent in a house making noise because you ain't got no action behind your barking. If you say you're going to whoop them, then whoop them. I respected my mama because I knew when she said from work, you're going to get a whooping when I get home. That was 100% true, babe. That was going to happen. And I respected my actions because I knew her words carried weight. Come on, somebody. So what I'm trying to help you to understand is that even Paul says that, listen, if we don't have actions behind how we feel and what we say, people won't respect who we are. And I'm afraid to say we got a whole lot of preaching and self-proclaimed Christians going around who say a whole lot of scripture, but don't act the scripture. That's what I'm talking about. Words that lead to action. Are you acting like what you're saying? Are you saying what you're willing to act? God says you need to apply this to your employee. You can apply it to your spouse. You can apply it to your brother or your sister. But here's what makes the words matter so much. I know I'm out of time, but look at the final verse again. Here's the final verse. He says, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. But here it is in bold. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have what? Have spoken it and what? Don't miss the second part. I have spoken it and what? 
done it. If you're going to speak it, do it. Oh, look out now. Look out now. God says, listen, God says, then you will know that I have both spoken it and I have done it. God wants you to be clear that his word is not just a word for you to read, that the Bible is not just a Bible for you to read. It is a message that God gives you with something that he's going to do. When God says he will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, Baby, you can bank on it. All bets on God. It's not just words he's saying. It's something he's going to do. That's why you keep getting the rent you need. That's why you keep getting the food you need. That's why you keep getting clothes on the back you need. Because God don't say nothing he ain't willing to do. If God said he's Savior, like in John 14, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe in me. Why? Because in my father house so many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. In other words, I ain't saying nothing that ain't true. I got a mansion for you if you're willing to come on up higher. So if he says it, he'll provide. If he says he'll protect, he'll protect. If he says he'll heal you, then he'll heal you. Whatever the word says, baby, God ain't saying it. He ain't gonna do it. He concludes with this. I have spoken it and I have both performed it. So what he says is as good as done. So the last point Portion is pivotal because what God is saying is that how we speak determines our actions. And maybe we aren't acting because we aren't saying the right things or we aren't saying anything at all. You can't expect action in your life if you don't speak action in your life. If you don't say anything or if you're saying the wrong things, you can't expect God to do what you don't say. Proceed your actions with the right words. I'm talking to somebody today. Proceed your actions with the right words. Speak life into your walk with God. Start talking like you matter. Pop your own collar. Start talking like you are going to come out. Start talking like God has a plan for your life and it's going to be good. Speak the things that are innovative and reflective of your life with God. When you cuss all day, is that what your life is like with God? When When you cuss and act up all day, you're showing people that's what my life with God is like. When I start saying things that reflect my relationship with God, God gets proud and said, oh, you said that about me? Let me go on and break you off something. You don't speak up in meetings and at work. Is that what your life is like with God? Or you don't say anything at all. Is God not saying anything for you to share with others? When you don't say anything, you're saying God ain't saying nothing to me. Ezekiel got a vision and when God gives him a vision, he said, give it to a people. Whatever you see, say it. Even the airport says, see something, say something. If God gives you something in your mind or your thoughts, yes, you can journal it. Yes, you can, you know, analyze it and process it. But by the time you're done with it, you've got to remember God gave you the insight for a reason. You've got to say it to somebody. Your life means something and somebody in the world needs what you have to say. I came to speak life into somebody and watch your words start coming to fruition. Even Moses said, God, I can't speak on your behalf and God
God said, I'll help you. He said, Moses said, I stutter. And God said, don't worry about the stutter. I'm the one who made the tongue. I'll give you the power you need. I'll put Aaron right next to you. In other words, God established a nation with Moses, a group of people, a team that helped with his own deficiencies. So where you are weak, God will send you somebody who got your back. God gives us all things to say every day. Every day, God gave you something to say. Listen, you wake up, I ain't got nothing to say. You dreamed last night, something is in your mind. Something is in your heart. I guarantee you, God is knocking on your door and your window trying to talk to you. And I know he's going to act because he left me a book of things he said and he's still saying it today. For the word is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He left me his word and when I read his word, I hear his voice and when I hear his voice, I got something to say because his words come with actions. In the same book, Ezekiel 24, write this down, Shana, write it down, Ezekiel 24, 14. He said, I, the Lord, have spoken it. It shall come to pass and I will do it. I will not go back, neither will I spare, neither will I repent according to thy ways and according to thy doings shall they judge thee, saith the Lord. Write that passage down. He said, if I speak it, I'm going to do it. You need to put that on your desk at work. Put it somewhere in your house. Write this one down. Isaiah 46, 11. Isaiah 46, 11 says, yes, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. If God gave you purpose, he's going to do it. And what God speaks, he does. Can that be said of you? Do you say more than you do? Ah, You don't make sense. You're conflicting. How you act is a reflection of the things you say. I feel like taking my jacket off. Say little, do little. Say much, do much. Say nothing, do nothing. Here are my final thoughts. Shana waved the checker flag. I'm coming around the last corner. Vroom, vroom, vroom. PC is coming across the line. I'm telling you, speaking good things is incredibly useful to the self and others. Speaking good things things is incredibly useful to self and others. When God gives us something good to say, say it. Sometimes I think about people and I text them right when I think about them because you don't know where you're going to have that good thought again. Don't always say things of a negative nature, but learn how to speak life. Speak life. Why? Because your words matter. Put the picture on the screen. You see it at the top in purple? Words matter. Say that with me. Words matter. And here he comes. Number 21. Coming around the corner for the final stretch. Words matter. In other words, start investing in your own selves again. This is how the sermon started out. But God redirected it and corrected me in my study time. The one I'm trying to tell you. I had a whole different picture. And this part right here is where I started. And it turns out to be a little snippet in the bigger sermon. Start investing in your own self.
yourselves again. In other words, buy into your own life. Invest in your own life. If you can't see good for you, then don't say nothing about you. Because you can't say nothing good about you because you don't see good. By speaking to your life, you approve of it. Even politicians say, somebody else comes on the screen and talks about all their policies and they come on and say, I'm Jerry Smith and I approve this message. In other words, it is your voice that puts the step. People can say whatever they want to say. They can say you're a dog. They can say you're a chimpanzee. They can say you're a rock star. They can say whatever. It don't matter. It's not until you approve the message that the message is considered authentic. What did you say to yourself this morning? What are you approving about your life? I am the head and not the tail. I am healed and I'm not sick. I am the first and not the last. What are you saying? Speak what God has said that you will do and you who you will be. I am fearfully and wonderfully made in the eyes of God. So by speaking to your life, you approve it. Second, by acting on your life, you give God glory. When you start doing what you say, when you start walking like you're kings and priests, then you start walking like you're a nation that has volatility and has economy and protection, then God says, I will honor the actions. Just like he told Joshua, he said, whatsoever you place your feet on, he said, I'll give it to you. In other words, it's your actions that establish what God is going to do. So by expecting, number three, by expecting something from it, you get a return on your investment. So I speak it, I approve it, I act it, I give God glory, and by expecting something in return, I get a return on my investment. And I came to tell you today, and no one invests in something without expecting a return from it. There is no investor out there who is not looking for a profit in return. Your life will yield profit. Why not invest in it? God says from the beginning, if I saved you, I saved you for a purpose. And if I gave you a purpose, I will do it. He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Why not invest in the fact that you will make it to your destiny? So after today, I hope we'll realize that we are all most miserable in some way or another. But God has given us words to change us so we can change our circumstance. God has given us visions and thoughts to change us so we can speak to situations and change them. No change happens without first being pushed by hope. You cannot bring change if you don't have hope for it yourself. And words give us hope because words come from God. And words from God come with action. People who say things but don't follow up didn't get those words from God. God never gives words and they return void. They always do what he sends them to do. So let your yay be yay. Let your nay be nay. Now people will be mad when you start backing up what you say. 
That was a rhyme. People really want you to stop at the words. People want you to say something and don't do nothing because I can handle that. People want you to say you're fired, but you never fire them. People want you to say this relationship is over. I'm leaving you for something better. They want you to say it and not do it. People get mad when you start saying stuff and you start acting out what you say. You really did that? I can't believe you did that. You really leaving me? You really changing? You really got the job? You really did? People get mad. Well, you better be prepared for it. Unfortunately, not enough actions are happening following our words as Christians for the world to believe that what we said is true. And the world looks at us as charlatans, as buffoons on a stage acting out words that we don't believe ourselves. I came to tell you that God has given us the power to speak life into action because what we say matters. I'm PC. Mm -hmm. And that's all I got. <laughs>